You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Patty and I were taking a quick trip to the local Dairy Queen in Hillsborough to get ice cream when somehow the topic of only men being qualified to be leaders in the church came up. I went a step further. It seemed to me that if only men are qualified to be overseers and deacons in the church, according to the scriptures, then it stands to reason also that only men should be in positions of authority in the civil realm as well. I don't see how something dangling between one person's legs qualifies them for being in charge, the middle-aged woman said to me. And I replied that there was rather more to it than one solitary anatomical piece or another. That is, there is far more difference between men and women than just our contrasting genitalia. Never mind for a moment the stark uncomfortability I felt in my late teenage years discussing such a thing so bluntly with a woman old enough to be my mother, the obviousness of the matter to me, amidst the apparent obfuscation of the topic to her, was also discomforting. How could she not see it as self-evident that men and women, though the same species, are inherently different? Having pondered the matter for the most recent half of my life now, I am convinced that the differences in good purposes and bad temptations between men and women are hardwired in. Regardless the exceptionality of certain specimens of either sex on whichever end of the good-bad spectrum you care to look, we men have certain proclivities, and women also, more broadly, go a different direction. When men go bad, their tendency is to be harsh and domineering. But when women go bad, they have a certain knack and penchant for harassing the people in their lives until they get what they want. Bad men are more the bullies then, and women more the manipulators. Though certainly there is crossover, and it is not a neat and tidy business where everyone is only one thing or the other all the time because of their sex, there are general distinctions between the sexes, and those distinctions are meaningful. Consider what the curse was to Adam and Eve after the fall, that man and his lady did not get identical or uniform consequences for their sin and folly. The man was told that work would be hard from now on, and that is certainly what we find for all but a very slim minority who the larger portion of humanity looks upon with great envy like winners of lotteries. The rest of us find that the ground does indeed produce thorns and thistles after all, and it does not produce good fruit as easily as we expect it to. Therefore, we work hard. We earn our wages by the sweat of our brows one way or another. And that has a tendency to cause us men to be frustrated if we do not take care to honor God in the attitudes of our heart and be content with what we have received from his hand. But when we find that the people around us also resist our efforts at working to a fruitful and productive end, here too our instinct is to grow frustrated and try again but harder this time. And sometimes that yields results. Other times it proves counterproductive. Women, meanwhile, have a different set of temptations. And some of those temptations have to do with the nature of women as well as the nature of the aspect of the curse which they are under. 
to Eve and her female descendants forever, or far as the curse is found. God said, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. That was another way of saying that Eve would be ambitious to wear the pants in the relationship. But it was also to say that she was not supposed to be the head or leader. So also, Eve was to have pain in childbirth, which presumably would not have been painful had our race abstained from the eating of certain fruits in a certain garden. And is it such an awful thing if men should be content with building up calluses on their hands so as to better deal with thorns and thistles and hard ground, meanwhile leaving well enough alone stupid questions about what it feels like to be giving birth? I say that it is not an awful thing at all, but entirely practical, sensible, and sane. It may even be the sanest thing I can imagine that men in our day might give up wondering what it would be like to be a woman and focus instead on figuring out what it would be like for them to act like men. If it were only about hardware, I could understand the objection of feminists that reproductive organs have nothing, or should have nothing at least, to do with the role of a pastor or deacon or other authority in the church or society. But software is an important thing, and the software and hardware are both different from men to women. And not only because of social constructs and arbitrary unspoken agreements between the members of civilizations that we will assume and expect certain things of this or that group of people. Rather, by design instead of accident, God has made men and women similar enough in the most fundamental of aspects of value and worth, but different enough in the most relevant aspects of leadership and authority. And he's the one who has done the designing and programming not only the configuration of hardware, so we do well to pause before tinkering presumptuously. The striving of the daughters of Eve to take authority over men in their homes, in the church, and in broader society, the Apostle Paul be damned, really has to do with their discontentedness with God's authority first and foremost. Dissatisfaction with the authority of men is downstream of that and a consequence of the fall. The campaign for ordaining priestesses in the Church of England in C.S. Lewis's day are, I take for granted, echoed in the argument of feminists I have heard in my day. It is true enough that men can be foolish, incompetent, unreliable, capricious, cruel, self-absorbed, and misleading. But women can be all of those things also, and it looks a bit different when they are. And in any event, we do not get closer to the mark by throwing out all standards. We do not get closer to the target when we dismiss the whole notion of a target in favor of a self-indulgent mandate to remake church and civilization according to our imaginations. If there are not enough good leaders among men, we can do better than looking for women to fill the roles which God's word assigns to men only. We cannot cultivate leadership in men by women haranguing men or petitioning for their jobs until more men step up to the plate. Rather, the older men have to train and equip more of the younger men for leadership, even as the older women teach the younger women to love and serve their husbands and children, embracing rather than forsaking God's purpose in their lives. In this way, we will find that we do not need priestesses when there are too few priests. What we need is more priests. According to God's word, these can only be gotten from among men if our desire is to have a Christian church and society, and such should be 
our resolute and persistent aim. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. It is July 2nd, 2021, episode 88, season 3, episode 153 of TGAMS, as I shorthand it. That sounds kind of gangster, doesn't it? TGAMS? In any event, what we're going to talk about in this episode is what tempts men and women differently. And what I just opened this episode with is what I've written up for in Gladii Veritas Session 1 this evening with Bobby McPherson and another friend of his over Zoom. We're going to discuss an article that I talked about here two episodes ago by C.S. Lewis, Priestesses in the Church, talking about the drive to ordain women in the Church of England in the late 1940s. But the topic here, more broadly than just ordaining women in the church or not ordaining women in the church, comes to me from my cousin Micah. Micah Hirschberger hit me up a couple of days ago, and I missed his call, but he left a voice message in which he asked me what three to five things I think men and women struggle with most in the church today. Obviously, more than just Christians can struggle with these things, but since his question was more confined to the scope of Christians and Christian community, Christian culture in America, I'd like to tackle that question, if I can, by talking about three general impulses that are common to people, men or women, and how I think they look differently. They look different in men and women in the church in America. I happen to be a student of wise old King Solomon in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes tells us that there is no new thing under the sun. And we read elsewhere in the scriptures that no temptation has seized us, but that which is common to man. And God is faithful, but nevertheless, no temptation has seized us, but that which is common to man, which is to say, implicitly, temptation is common to man, and there are temptations which are common to all men, and presumably, if we're going to be gender inclusive here, all women as well. Believing that history is a guide, I read a lot of history, and I find that even though culture varies greatly, language can have an influence, religion, political systems, governmental systems, ethnicity, geography, technology, all of these things can influence people. People still have a fundamental nature, which is remarkably consistent despite the many differences from different times and places in history. So when I come up with a list for what I think the biggest struggles are for men and women in the church in America today, it may sound rather generic and it may not sound so very much specific to Americans. 
I don't happen to think that we are so exceptional just by virtue of being Americans, just by virtue of living in the 21st century. I think that a lot of times we kid ourselves and we are not students of King Solomon in Ecclesiastes when he says that there is no new thing under the sun. We are not students of that and we don't meditate on that in a way that is meaningful. And so we think that because we have a smartphone in our pocket, because we have an internet connection at our house, because we have TV on demand or an automobile to travel around to and from work, school, church, the store, we think that we are so far removed from all of these people that you might read about from decades, centuries, millennia past, from all over the world in various diverse places. We are not so far removed. We are not so different as we like to tell ourselves we are. Technology can be an aid, but it also can be blinding. Just like you look down at your phone and you might not be looking where you're going, where you're walking and you trip over something. So also the very fact that we have a phone at all can blind us if we're too distracted by the shiny object from recognizing that no temptation has seized us but that which is common to man. And so I start off this episode reading for you a piece that I'm going to submit to this writing club that we just started in which I talk about this campaign in the 1940s to ordain priestesses in the Church of England in light of Genesis, in light of the fall, Adam and Eve taking the forbidden fruit and a curse being pronounced on them differently. The curse didn't fall on Eve the same way that it fell on Adam. It didn't fall on Adam the same way that it fell on Eve. They were different. And the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve are still different from one another. We're much more similar to our ancient forebearers than we are alike one another. Whatever androgenizing effort society tries to accomplish. Real broadly, let's start with the men. Because I'm a man. And because I have the inside track on how men are tempted. And since the question was posed to me in terms of what I think are the temptations of men and women, the three to five biggest temptations of men and women, I'm going to answer confidently and expect that you'll take with a grain of salt if I don't fully understand the psychology of women. But I think I can speak to my observations well enough without having been a woman. I would categorize the three human responses to a threatening situation as fight, flight, and surrender. You've heard of the fight or flight response. I would add a third response, and that is surrender. We can fight, we can run, or we can surrender when we are faced with a threat to our health and safety. And so I think that both men and women, as human beings, have these fight, flight, or surrender responses, but they look different 
generally speaking, broadly speaking. And I would say insofar as American society and even the American church, broadly speaking, has plenty of threats, plenty of obstacles and challenges and dangers and hazards, men and women perceive these threats or this threat and they respond with fight, flight, or surrender. When our perspective is limited to only the threat, then comes the temptation. When our perception is limited only to the opportunity, that is where temptation comes in. When our perspective is focused on who is God, what does he have for me to do here, that is when you find escape routes. That's when you find that God has made a way of escape for you. But you can't find that escape route if you get fixated, if you get tunnel vision on the threats or perceived opportunities. So, starting with men. When men, broadly speaking in American churches, are tempted to fight the threat and they give in to that impulse routinely, uncritically, without thinking, without double-checking, without tempering, without discipline, without self-control. They become contentious, acidic, combative, and argumentative. They become conceited, egotistical, preoccupied with knowledge that puffs up instead of love that builds up, and they become obsessed with doctrinal trivia at the expense of practical demonstrations of a living faith. I'll tell you right now, speaking for me personally, I might be tempted on any of these three, but that one is the one that is the most tempting. Fight, flight, or surrender. My first thought is to fight. My first inclination is to fight. And it is hard work for me sometimes, very often, to scale back that desire to go down swinging and to say, well, wait a second, what does God want me to be doing in this situation? Yes, I want to throw a punch. Yes, I want to throw out a quick barb of a comment. But is that God's purpose for me in this situation? Or can I honor him and represent him better? Can I be more faithful if I take a step back and think about this for a second? The second temptation that men encounter is flight. I've talked quite a lot about Men Going Their Own Way, this movement that I recently became aware of. It's related to the men's rights movement, which is a response to feminism, militant feminism in particular. But when men in the church, when American Christian men are tempted to flight, they despair at the seemingly insurmountable forces of opposition and abandon hope of meaningful faithfulness in family, church, and society. Consequently, they neglect to gird up their loins. They retreat to hobbies, careerism, and a life of self-indulgence. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's nothing for it. I can't do anything about it. I guess I'll just have a good time and watch the world burn. I'm opting out. I'll be over here doing my own thing, going my own way. When you guys 
have burned this whole thing to the ground, maybe, just maybe, I'll consider helping rebuild civilization. But I'm not going to do anything to try and help prevent the downfall. I'm just going to fatalistically assume that it can't be helped. Well, not with that attitude, right? And again, as I said, I'm by turns tempted in all three of these responses. Not this one as much as the fight, but I have my moments where this is the way that I'm inclined is to just opt out, shrug, Atlas shrugged, meh, you guys don't want my help? Fine, watch it all fall apart, see if I care. I'm gonna go play a computer game. I'm gonna go read a book. Good luck. I think that's a temptation. I think that's a temptation. I think it's wicked and not good and not productive and not fruitful. The third temptation that men have is to surrender. Christian men in America are desperate for purpose and belonging. And sometimes in their desperation, they uncritically and in mercenary fashion go with the flow passively, though with the appearance of activity, they become male feminists, they become social justice warriors, they campaign for leftist and secular humanist causes in every facet of society, including the church, so as to be embraced rather than loathed and detested. They think that resisting, pushing back, standing up for something better, different, more authentically biblical and godly is the same thing automatically as being contentious. They can't tell the difference. They refuse to tell the difference. And what it might just be is that they don't want to be hurt anymore. And so they're just going to go along with this. They're going to repeat uncritically everything that they're hearing in broader society so that they'll be embraced and welcomed in because they're just lonely. They're lonely and they're scared and they're isolated. And just like the kid who grows up without a father in the inner city and has a gang come along and say, hey, come over here. Those young men, middle-aged men, sometimes old men, who surrender to broader society around them. They conform themselves to the pattern of this world because they want nothing more than to be loved, respected, and affirmed. They want purpose and belonging, and they're willing to compromise whatever they have to in order to get those things. They're not as tempted to flight because they recognize that flight would be lonely. I don't want to go my own way. That sounds awful. I need people. I need community. I need relationships. But because community and relationships right now are contingent on political correctness and social justice and critical theory and leftism and progressivism, I'm going to go along with this. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to feed it because I want nothing more than to be accepted. I don't have as much of a temptation in this regard as I do flight or fight. If it were me, I'd rather duke it out until I'm dead or opt out. If it's a fight I can't win, deuces, I'm out. I don't mind being by myself. I, I love my family. I love my wife and my children. But the rest of y'all... <laughs> I like, but 
I'm not so desperate that I'm willing to surrender. Death before dishonor. Or a tactical retreat with honor to fight again another day. That's how I see it. But again, like I said, we have to have a bigger vision of what does God's word say than just you fight every injustice and untruth or keep yourself unspotted from the world. We have to have a bigger vision that comes from God's word and it comes from God's spirit dwelling within us. We have to be looking to God and not just the circumstances. Look to God to guide us through the circumstances first and foremost. Now, that is my answer for men. And you might say, well, wait a second. What does that have to do with so many things that are unique to American society, that are unique to our time and technology and social media and the internet and TV and movies and convenience and you know all these trends, all of these philosophies and movements and things like that. You're not talking about that stuff at all. Well, I'm trying to confine myself to three. And also, I'm not so sure that any of these things that we think of as being new are really so new. Again, there is no new thing under the sun, according to Solomon. So all that is in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's been true since the fall, since human civilization started building. It has been true that men are tempted to lie, steal, cheat, murder, take what doesn't belong to them, covet, envy, be jealous, be bitter, be slanderous, malicious, duplicitous. Within the church, I don't think that those temptations are necessarily any greater than they have been in times past. I think our capacity for good and for ill might be enhanced through technology, but I don't think that our proclivities are necessarily any greater than they used to be. I think our nature is fundamentally the same as it always has been, and I think these are the temptations that men face by nature. Moving on to women. When women are tempted to fight in our society and throughout history, since the fall, since God pronounced the curse on Eve, women have ambitiously contended with men for positions of authority, which do not rightly belong to them, whether through harassment or nagging or malicious and slanderous gossip or maneuvering manipulations, women fight and they can fight dirty and they can throw everything and the kitchen sink at the men and the women around them in pursuit of what they want. It's usually far more indirect than direct when women do it than when men do it. Men are typically more direct. Women are typically more indirect, more emotional, but like Amazon warriors cutting off one breast so as to draw the bowstring without hindrance, women who are tempted to fight sacrifice femininity as God intended it in favor of becoming warriors. And they want to hear themselves roaring 
and they want society to hear them roar. I am woman, hear me roar. That's a major temptation that women have. And because we're an increasingly wicked society, little girls are taught from little on up in schools, in the home, on TV, in the movies, in the music. I am woman, hear me roar. They're encouraged to, quote unquote, fight like a girl. When women are tempted to flight, they withdraw into quiet, lonesome lives as bookish spinsters who think that biblical femininity involves little more than keeping their clothes on and waiting for Prince Charming, or else ceaselessly meditating on idealized, romanticized visions of yesteryear at the expense of energetically engaging the opportunities for productive use and purpose in the present circumstance. Women who fall into this temptation more often escape. They don't necessarily escape physically. They might be present physically, but they escape emotionally. They withdraw emotionally. They think that modesty means reading nothing but Jane Austen books. Pride and Prejudice and Little Women and Anne of Green Gables and just wait for your Hallmark Channel, Hallmark movie, Prince Charming to come along, brushing the sawdust off of his flannel shirt, handing you a perfectly made mocha latte sitting on the couch with you for hours by the fire. That's God's will for your life. That's God's purpose for your life, ladies. And until you get it, you're just going to live in your imagination. You're not engaging the world around you, the people around you. You just escape into centuries gone by that you can tell yourself because you don't exist in those times were more virtuous. You should have been born then because you are more virtuous. But you're not proving your virtue by engaging the circumstances that you're in right now. We don't typically fault women when they do this, but it's just, as far as I'm concerned, the female version of men escaping to Dungeons and Dragons and science fiction and fantasy. And don't get me wrong, I grew up reading a lot of science fiction and fantasy. Big Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings fan here. I'm not on a pedestal talking down to everybody. But we have to recognize that a young woman meditating on Jane Austen and whoever else, just because she wrote a couple hundred years ago, can be the same thing as a young man meditating on slaying dragons, all the while the two of them are neglecting the pride and prejudice in the here and now. They're neglecting the dungeon and the dragon in the here and now, in their lives, in favor of one in their imagination. They're afraid. They're flying. They're fleeing. They're running. They're trying to escape the thing that is facing them, confronting them, or in front of them as an opportunity. 
because they're afraid of failing, they're afraid of being destroyed, they're afraid of the threat in tackling that thing. In the case of surrender, women in American churches today are tempted without strong biblical leadership or with forceful and corrupt influences in pop culture and broader society, particularly when such infect the church, women give up on seemingly quaint, antiquated notions of settling down as wives and mothers in favor of doing and being whatever society expects them to be, repeating dogma dispassionately and unthinkingly and quietly dismissing what God's word says about their key contributions to family, church, and society, looking to social media applause to affirm their value and purpose. They're not fighting. They're not, I am woman, hear me roar. They just don't want to fight. They don't want to surrender, but they are surrendering. They don't want to flee, so they're going to hang in there. They want community. Men want community. Women want community. Men want purpose and belonging. Women want purpose and belonging. For men today, purpose and belonging comes in repenting of their whiteness, becoming woke, apologizing for being male. For women, it involves showing up and repeating the doxology of secular humanism, repeating the doxology of the left and progressivism. And they won't fight with you about it. They won't get all worked up about it. But if they don't think you can hear them, they will, like Sarai, quietly laugh to themselves when they hear the angel of the Lord telling their husband that they and their husband are going to have a child in their old age. Now just supplement having a child in your old age for this regaining of biblical femininity in our day. The women who surrender might have an inclination in that regard and say, well, that would be nice, right? That would be nice if we could be men and women in an old-timey, old-fashioned sort of a way, but that just doesn't work anymore. I would be mocked, ridiculed, rejected, made fun of if I embraced what God's Word says about femininity. And so I'm not going to. I'm just going to quietly laugh to myself. I don't want to fight. I don't want to run away. I want community. I want relationship. I'm just going to quietly dismiss that idea out of hand and do whatever I need to do to fit in retain purpose and belonging. If I need to sign up for certain things and serve on committees and be in leadership, I'll do it. I don't really want to. I don't really feel like I'm suited for it because I'm not, maybe. But that's what society is expecting of me. So I'll do enough to be accepted, to get my purpose and belonging box checked. You'll notice all of these, for men and women, Really come down to selfishness. Really come down to the fool has said in his heart there is no God. The fool has said in her heart there is no God. Where we exclude considerations of God's purpose for us in these trying circumstances from our response, we become foolish. It is foolish for a young man to spend his entire life reading only fiction. Read some history too. Read some biographies too. Get engaged. It's foolish for a woman, a young woman, to read nothing 
but Jane Austen and Louisa May Alcott. Read some history. Read some biographies. Read God's Word. In the church today, it's very common for men to be hammered on pornography. That is the greatest temptation that American men face is pornography. Right? Eh. I don't see that emphasis in scriptures. I'm sorry. I don't see that being hammered as often in the scriptures as it is in our day. And I also don't see the temptations that men have and the foibles that men have being focused on exclusively, even as women are by silence on their struggles, given a veneer of sanctity and respectability. Again, the responsibility of men is to have pure hearts, pure minds, to never look at a woman with lust, to never admire a woman's beauty because it could be lust. The responsibility of women is keep your clothes on. That's it. Meditate on Jane Austen and Proverbs 31. Keep your clothes on. You're good. I might be oversimplifying, but not by much. I think we do well to think about the temptations that men and women have more broadly. A lot of this stuff that we tackle and we address, or we don't, is really downstream of bigger issues, more fundamental issues. Like, for instance, what do we do when we feel threatened, when we feel threatened by by society, by culture, by political movements, by ideology, by people that we have relationships with? What do we do when we feel threatened, when we feel something valuable and important to us is at stake, like our very existence is at stake or being questioned, the validity of is being called into question? How do we respond? Fight, flight, surrender. Fighting sometimes is the right response, but if that's our only response ever, it will not be the right response all the time. Running away sometimes is the best option. Tactical retreat, advance in the opposite direction is sometimes the right response. But if that's all we've ever got, we're a one-trick pony and we only ever know how to run away like brave Sir Robin in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, then what? Why are we here? I love David in the Old Testament. He comes to bring lunch to his brothers who are serving in the armies of Israel, camped against the Philistines. Goliath of Gath stands between the two armies encamped for days on end taunting not only Israel, but Israel's king and the living God of Israel. And David shows up to bring lunch per his father's instructions and volunteers to fight this uncircumcised Philistine. And his reason for volunteering is because God has delivered the lion and the bear into his hands when they came against his father's sheep. And David trusts God will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into his hand as well. Men and women, we may not be David, but we should be after God's own heart. So, resist the devil, he will flee from you. 
Those are my thoughts. That's my answer. And that's all I got for today. I got to run. I'm going to be home in time for this writing club gathering, get together meeting this evening about this time, 12 hours from now. I got to go. But as always, thank you for listening. If you've got some additional thoughts on this, please hit me up. I'd love to know what you think the biggest temptations that men and women face in society are today. Hit me up. Let me know. Until next time. Thanks for listening. God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Oh.